0: What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of
1: film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. And this episode, I'm going to be interviewing the award-winning team that has edited a Black Lady Sketch Show for HBO. This team includes Stephanie Philo, Taylor Mason, Braden French, And Robin Wilson. We've interviewed before, and so what I did with this one is I decided that they would each choose a sketch that they worked on, and we would talk about their work on that particular sketch. But with all that said, here's my interview with the team of a Black Lady sketch show. You know, when I talk to documentary editors, they always talk about having to get into the mindset of editing a documentary because it's usually heavy content. So I'm wondering if it's something similar for sketch comedy. Do you have to get into a particular mindset, or how do you like to? sort of get ready for your editing
0: i feel like for me a lot of our sketches are um different genres so it's Mm -hmm. like you know one day you might walk in and it's like here's a rom-com and then the next day you walk in and it's like wild thriller or here's a horror movie so (laughs) usually what i'll do is like if i know that the next day i'm supposed to be cutting i don't know like a rom-com version Mm -hmm. of something i'll like watch pieces of rom-coms or just something to kind of get in that headspace and figure out like you know how do they work with the music in rom-coms how do sound effects work in that uh, genre so I think for me it's always just kind of trying to I guess refresh my memory on what different conventions you know people would use in the different genres but also just trying to just getting in that headspace.
2: yeah and on this particular show even before they started shooting they had a a a grid of just References and and tones and themes for each sketch. So we had the advantage of just kind of looking at those at those references. I know one of mine was the last dragon for one of the, for strictly prisoners, um, which was great and um, super helpful.
1: How about yourself, Braden?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I I came from the documentary world, and I think that's totally true. That depending on the the content, yeah, sometimes you do really have to gear up for it you know, emotionally, mentally, et cetera, et cetera. I think fortunately with this show, you know, we, we're not dealing with stuff that's going to that's gonna have us crying. But I, I think, you know, the, the challenge of sketch comedy, as Steph and Taylor were saying, is each one of these sketches has its own genre and its own language. And you really do have to get into the rhythm of it. So I I totally did the same thing where if if my sketch was going to be like, some type of format or if if there was a comp of a movie or a TV show the night before if it's a movie I might actually watch the whole movie or if it's on the fly I'll go to YouTube and watch clips of scenes and stuff to pull from this authenticity that's in that genre and then blend it with what we're doing in the sketch. So is that why you chose the Product Purge as your, because you got to watch the movie the night before? It, it's funny because I, I actually did, I watched two Purges before I did that one, because I, I was intimidated when I when I came on it, because it's a huge sketch, and mm-hmm. um, I can't remember, I think I watched the first one, which was nothing like it, and then I can't remember the other one I watched. So Robin Thede had wanted Product Purge to have kind of a Braveheart quality to it as well, you know, which isn't necessarily the purge, but I, you know, I watched the big speech from Braveheart, you know, it it was just kind of all those things were fresh in my mind as I was working on it and, and figuring out, okay, which parts of these movies do I want to borrow from, or do I want to pay homage to, and which parts are completely brand new in this sketch's own world, Mm -hmm. and how do I mix them? I, I think you do have to do a lot of preparation for that just to make it authentic. Because if the sketch isn't authentic to the genre that you're playing with, it's not. It's just not going to work as a sketch.
1: I would love to talk to you about the bit with the back in five minutes being flipped back sure. and forth uh, <laughs> uh-huh. and the use of the symbol. Like, How much work did you put into that <laughs> to get the timing and the feeling right?
3: You know, that's so funny because that's actually the thing that I've heard the most from other editors is specifically about the symbol. (laughs) And, and it's really funny because I did spend a lot of time on that. I spent a lot of time going back and forth with different sounds and different visual cues to, to see, okay, how can we maximize the funny here? Because it was hilarious. Just in the, in the dailies, they had all these takes of MJ, like flipping this sign back and forth and, the cast reacting to it and it was really funny on its own. But like once you put it in in the actual sketch and and cut it together with everything, it it needed like another element to take it over the top. And uh, one of the things I had been playing with throughout the sketch was this kind of building symbol that that made its way whenever something dramatic would happen. And so I went back and I grabbed a bunch of sounds. I had like purge sirens, I had cymbals, I had all kinds of whooshes and stuff throughout the sketch. Whenever there was going to be a big moment, and so I went and I grabbed all those things and I kind of experimented with, okay, what if uh, every time the sign's about to flip, you know, because that's going to be a big moment in the mm-hmm. sketch when they finally get to trade in all these products, you know. So I put it in initially just when she last flipped the sign. And then I started playing with, OK, what if every time she starts to do it, you get that lead up and it's like it's there's tension, tension, tension. And then you cut it off and you kind of play with it going back and forth like that. You know, I think it ended up being really funny and working really well as an audio device to to work with the visual. And I I'm really glad that people kind of caught that, particularly editors caught that. <laughs> I don't know if anybody at home would process what was going on. But I think other editors recognized, oh, that was a device that actually worked. And, and I'm glad it did. Well, the other thing that worked, what well, I really liked,
1: was the intensity of the first half of the sketch. Mm-hmm. Juxtaposed with they walk in and it just is back in five minutes and it just sort of right. sits. How did you approach your, your edit for that? Was like How much of it came from the set? How much did you put into that?
3: You know, a, a lot of credit to the script for that and to Robin and to the writing team um, because, I mean, it was in the script that there's all this chaos. These women are running through the streets. It's loud. It's crazy. And then cut to an empty store playing Girl from Ipanema, which is hilarious in the script. And once we got to the edit, uh, there were a few different things I was trying in there, uh, the, the first thing I tried was, you always cut to the store and it's empty, and that's just funny in itself. But what I had first done was cut to the store and then add kind of a, st- a, a low stampede sound that kind of picks up, and so you gradually hear from outside this chaos getting near the store, which I liked when I went into the edit with Robin, with Robin Thede, she suggested not hearing them at all so that it would go from this moment of complete chaos to silence and girl from Ipanema and then back outside to complete chaos. And it was like, it made it so much more hilarious. And I think Robin had a lot of, I mean, she's she has really great comedic instincts. And, mm-hmm. and that was just one of many that, you know, we kind of found in the edit bay and uh, really emphasized until they worked just right. And now every time I see that piece of the scene, I, I, I laugh every time I see it. it. It just worked.
1: What's interesting is, I don't remember hearing the music in that cut, I just, for whatever sure. reason in my memory, Good. it's just like
3: dead silence for some reason. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a total clash. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think that's why we use Girl from Ipanema is you subconsciously just kind of blend that into quiet and serene without necessarily piecing together that you're doing that. So I think it was very effective in that way.
1: Why was this the the scene that you wanted to talk about?
3: I had a a lot of fun cutting it. It was really challenging to cut. Before we start the edit, we all had a meeting together where we would discuss what sketches they were shooting. And you kind of get a sense of what they're going to be like. And, you know, we had already read the scripts. But once you start talking about them, you get more of a sense of the scale and... Where they're going, and I remember them talking about product purge, and I was like, "Oh man, I hope I don't get that one. That sounds like a monster." <laughs> and um, when it came about, um, I ended up kind of rotating to it. I, I got really excited actually once I once I started thinking about, okay, what can I do with this? It's obviously a massive sketch. Um, it goes a ton of different places. I mean, it's massive both physically but also in terms of you know the sound the idea that like everything about it is really big that was exciting in how much of a challenge it would be but how much it would pay off Mm -hmm. uh you know if we if we did it right you know just looking at the dailies it was really funny it was really um well shot it was really amazing and I, i was just i was so excited to do it i I think I auditioned a few different versions of it for uh, Steph and for the edit team, and you know I think we really got it singing by the end. It was very long at first, mm-hmm. and some things were working, some things weren't. But I think it's a good example of a place where there was a lot of collaboration to make that sketch turn into what it turned into, and um, you know I'm really proud of it. I'd
1: like to open this up to everyone in terms of a
3: question. You know, like if you look at older
1: sketch comedy shows like SNL or Dave Chappelle or what have you, uh, their sketches tend to be longer than they are nowadays. How, do you, Why do you think that is? What's what's changed in our ability to consume media that we're needing smaller sketches or shorter sketches?
0: Well, I think for those also, like there's the element of having a live audience, um, which we don't have and which a lot of sketch shows now don't have. So if mm-hmm. you watch ours, it's just really fast paced. It feels like there's kind of like jokes layered on top of mm-hmm. each other. Um, and you don't really have the same pauses for laughs that you do in the others. So I feel like that's maybe part of, part of what condenses them down a little bit.
2: I mean, Nick, um, the boring answer in my opinion is just attention span. I think, you know, the audience is more prone to uh, back to back to back jokes and onto the next, just given, you know, the mediums that we use every day, like TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, all those things.
3: I think that's also important to uh, Robin Thede in particular is getting these things really tight and having jokes kind of be right up on top of each other and not really giving you a chance to mm-hmm. have a break from the onslaught of punchlines and jokes and and all that. And um, you know, I think it's kind of both the nature of how she does it, but also like Taylor was saying, it's it's also kind of the nature of media now and how we consume it and. The devices we consume it on you can bet that not everybody's watching these just on their tv they're mm-hmm. watching them on youtube and their phones too and you got to compete with a lot of things
0: yeah and there's the rewatch factor too of having so many jokes that you would miss you would miss a bunch the first time you watch through something so i think robin also like really tries to hone in on maybe there's like extra random physical comedy that you don't notice the first time around or maybe there's like a joke within a joke that you don't notice until you look at it again and you're not like laughing at the first, <laughs> the first part of the joke. So
1: what would you say is your favorite joke within a joke or a hidden joke that people might not catch the first time?
4: I think one of my favorite that actually, uh, while we were watching the, um, the last rollout of the episodes altogether, um, uh, in, uh, not the one that I suggested, but another one called what the fuck wrestling, and robin saw herself and realized hey did you put that joke in there when the microphone is coming down and every damn time and and she's like did you know that i said that i'm like of course i did i put that in there of course you know (laughs) but you wouldn't get it i mean she performed it she's Mm -hmm. seen the episode a million times and the fact that she laughed out loud at the very moment you know right when we were pushing the episode forward was like you know those are those golden moments that you know are going to be memes later or you know gifts later or whatever later and you just like yes those are the selling points to making good comedy is you go back again and again and again and you see something else
1: since we're with you robin i I'd, I'd love to talk to you about the sketch you chose you chose ashy sunday what was it about this sketch that you wanted to
4: I I actually didn't choose this because I was one of the last editors on. So I got thrown everything, which is great um, because I'm a new editor. And I sort of it's just been my privilege to be part of this team and hang out with these crazy people and and have fun and, you know, get into some serious comedy. Ashley Sunday, I actually got very lucky on because when I came in onto the show, I was telling RT, Robin Thede. That Bad Bitch support group was my favorite sketch. I love that sketch so much. And Ashy Sunday is all about the Bad Bitch of Darkness, right? Mm. <laughs> so I was like so excited when I got that in my footage. I'm like, yes, perfect. This is exactly what I want. And it just was one of my you know, favorite things that I got to do this season, sort of reenact for a, a fan like me, mm-hmm. something that's amazing to see, which is Robin being <laughs> the devil incarnate.
2: <laughs> and they, just to piggyback off of that, like that sketch to me, I mean, I have so many favorites, but that's also one of them just because it's a problem I run into way too often. I've been with Stephanie <laughs> many times where I was like, I need lotion, I need it now. Like I'm. It's, it's insane how common that problem is,
4: at least for me. Yep no for for everybody right it's just something that's funny in my family with my friends it is something that you know i've shown to people and they're like you're right remember that time we were somewhere and we were ashy and it was horrible
1: (laughs) the devil really stuck with me and then the other one part of that scene that stuck with me was the woman at the coffee stand roasting basically.
4: Gabrielle, yeah, yeah, she was amazing.
1: Did they basically just ad-lib that and you chose the best takes or how how did that come about?
4: Well, you know, they're all just mad improvers, right? They're just Mm -hmm. so good and there's so much, even, you know, Sky running through it with her, you know, Diva cups and two tampons on. I mean, they're all just, just insane and you Mm -hmm. just really have to pick the flow that's going to, make all of it work Mm -hmm. and you know similar to product purge this one was really like a journey that this you know our main character goes on and you know there's different you know different locations and different set pieces Mm -hmm. and so you kind of want to make sure everybody kind of flows into the right thing and so yeah gabby had so many awesome one-liners and just back and forth i think there was Luckily, three cameras rolling, but they did it multiple times. And then she would just rapid fire a bunch of stuff. And um, I know we went back and forth a couple of times. There were a few different takes of her doing different things. But that one was my favorite.
1: (laughs) What are some of the difficulties you might encounter with uh, ad living that young editors might not be aware of?
4: Well, the first difficulty was the sound because they were outside. And uh, we had I don't know what the location was. I forget now, but there were helicopters. And so some of those ad libs, you know, there were multiple. You know, she was mic'd, of course. And then there's the boom, of course. But, you know, just trying to find a good sound to make sure that you're hearing the joke, Mm -hmm. you know, and and not necessarily Frankensteining all the the sound, which ended up having to happen because there's helicopter (laughs) so you know and sometimes that can actually ruin takes where you just can't hear your actors you know and it never really sounds as good if you try to dub it over you know Mm -hmm. especially when your actress is on on camera so sound is a big deal i don't think it gets enough credit but you know even sound effects yeah but just the actual atmospheric sound of your footage is really, really important.
1: How much do you take on? Because I think about when we're with the devil and she points over her shoulders and we get like little bubbles. So how much do you guys take on or do you take on as an editor and how much do you hand off to a motion graphics team?
4: For that one, I definitely had to do like the initial pass myself because I was trying to sell the idea. I don't even think that that was something that... Robin wanted to do, I think it was just kind of like this or this, but she didn't really have, like, Ashley's face being all ashy and then being yeah. all, like, none of that was really sort of thought out. And I was the one that's like, oh, no, you got to have her face right there and flames and poof, you know, so... Initially, when I think I first showed my my cut of it and she started laughing, she's like, you you know, I'm an editor, but not necessarily a VFX editor. (laughs) But you get it? I'm like, she's trying to do this. And she's like, oh, yeah, we're going to make that happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have to sort of just show proof of concept necessarily, you know, so that you're selling, you're selling the idea of what's supposed to be shown in this piece.
1: I want to jump to you, uh, Stephanie, you sent me What Up, I'm Three. Why did you choose this sketch? Well, it was one of
0: my, probably my most challenging sketches this season, but it's the one that I think I'm, or one of the ones that I think I'm happiest with, with how it turned out but it was such a journey to get there so i just thought it was like an interesting one to talk through
1: (laughs) what made it such a journey
0: so we were talking earlier about like the different genres right Mm -hmm. so this was one that i don't know if you've seen the movie orphan where it's basically just like this grown woman that pretends to be a child and gets adopted but it's like a horror movie so it's like, it was based kind of on loosely on that. And then there's also the Kaiser So-say moment at the end. So it's just like a whole bunch of different genres. And there are this um, kind of baby shower moment. So it's kind of like, how do you combine those three elements? Um, <laughs> and then also it's so, it was a super improv heavy sketch as well. Um, there's a ton that didn't make it into the cut, which I'm sad about, but it makes sense why it didn't. Um, like Ashley, for example, is just on a roll in that one. Um, the original cut was probably like twice as long as what you see now, because she was just so funny to me in it. But really, it ultimately, it's about Robin Thede's insane, what up, I'm three character. So it's more just like embracing the absurdity of that than like hearing these funny little one-liners from everybody else so originally i think scripted that she only said what up i'm three like twice in the sketch and i think now she says it probably like 12 13 times (laughs) like she just constantly is saying it and um yeah i think it was just figuring out what the balance was in tone but also like really heightening the absurdity of Mm -hmm. that character as much as possible
1: it felt like you had to really sit with the idea that (laughs) this mother and her daughter truly believe that she is three because it seems there's like this weird back and forth of we need the reactions to really get this sort of joke that's coming through so how did you approach cutting this to really hammer home that joke
0: first i think figuring out what robin's reveal was gonna be was the biggest thing for me because i was like if there's any hint of what you're about to see like it's not gonna work right Mm -hmm. like you have to kind of see they're at this like party, everyone is happy, like having a great time. And then suddenly she like materializes and she's there. So it was just trying to find a way to kind of mask what was about to happen initially. And then um, I think Skye and Robin just really like went went for it um, with their improv. And you can tell that they're just really trying to sell the moment of genuinely believing that she's three. So it was really just figuring out, what reactions to like if I was sitting in a party and that happened how would I react right so we had just like a ton of ton of reaction shots of the crowd but I just kind of tried to like I'm like what would my face be doing in this moment what would like what would any of our faces be doing so it was just kind of figuring out where and when those moments happen there's a moment where Robin goes to like suckle uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, and I'm like what would what would uh everyone else's reaction be and i think gabrielle just looks horrified so i was like okay i'm gonna cut to her it is like you said just trying to figure out what the balance of reaction shots was for that but i think once the absurdity of the moment is as heightened as possible it's easy to find what those reactions would be
1: now you also mentioned going to that sort of usual suspects moment uh with kaiser Sose. Was there ever talk about not going to that moment and sort of using this as an ongoing character or anything like that?
0: No, I think it was pretty like set in stone that they wanted Mm -hmm. that big sort of reveal moment at the end. I would love to see this character again. So I hope that, you know, maybe we see her somewhere (laughs) in some other type of scenario, but... Obviously now we'll
1: know. Is there a particular type of sketch that you guys like to edit?
4: I don't think so. I mean, I think that was what was awesome about working on this show is that you can do anything. Like we have space and we have something like a Wes Anderson movie happening or we you know, we have horror, we have someone turning into a werewolf, you know, we have a funeral ball. I mean, we just did the, the gamut. And then you can go from one to the other and have these amazing journeys, you know what I mean? And then the next day you're off to do, you know, capped and you're doing a a chef's, you know, baking show or something, a cooking show. So no, I didn't, I, maybe you guys different, but I thought it was amazing to be able to go from genre to genre. I thought it was awesome.
3: I enjoyed doing the jumping. I I did go on a big run, especially in the beginning of, I don't think it was even intentional. It's just how it kind of worked, where I was doing a lot of ones that had horror twists, mm-hmm. which was interesting because I had I had just come off American Horror Story, and so I was already kind of in that gear, and it and it just kind of worked out. But I think after like my third or fourth one, where I was doing a a horror twist, I was like, all right, let me what? let me get something that's sitting in another genre. And then I think that's probably when I ended up doing Product Purge.
2: I think I generally lean toward less slapstick, um, more just kind of smart, absurd humor. I mean, I like action and I like, you know, physical comedy, but I think I enjoy at least, you know, the writing involved in a lot of these just back and forth just funny dialogue, like two people could just be sitting in a room and, you know, they have a great conversation and you cut it well, it could be hilarious. And in terms of this show, I think <laughs> the Crash and Learn, I think a good example of that. I mean, it's situational, um, but it was still just the dialogue between uh, Gabby and Robin that had me cracking up. And, and uh, you know, it was difficult to, to leave something on the cutting room floor. There were so many good takes. And opposite of that is Funeral Ball, which I had, you know, which while that's extremely physical, what drove it, I think, was Bobby, the announcer, who just every line, he, I was crying at one point during the dailies and just wanted to throw everything in. And of course, we were limited to time. So I had to let some things go, but he was every line. He was hilarious and made it his own. And it was funny in writing and he made it, you know, even funnier with his his acting ability. So
1: that was the sketch that you chose. Why did you choose this one to talk about?
2: Uh, Funeral Ball one, it was it was the first sketch that I got is the first day I started. It was just comfortable for me. I just come off of, well, not just, but the a couple of shows before that I was on Pose And it was just, you know, ballroom after ballroom scene. And I thoroughly enjoyed that. And so to like, to kind of, to come right on sketch show and be presented with this fantastic ballroom, fantastic ballroom and also kind of a black church setting, which are kind of just a dichotomy (laughs) in in and of themselves was great.
1: It felt very much like it had shades of the documentary Paris is Burning. Was there any discussion about that?
2: Well, there actually, there wasn't a discussion about that, but I mean, that was like kind of one of the references that I was able to pull from, along with just the work I did on pose and just knowledge of the ballroom scene in general. Mm -hmm. And I thought what was funny about it was that there are actual skilled ballroom dancers in this sketch who were, you know, (laughs) they they were voted like the worst um, performance, which is hilarious. Of course, you know, everyone else who was terrible got tens across the board. So, yeah, I mean, I just love the the irony and just the absurdity that, you know, was written into the sketch and that they were still paying homage to Ballroom by having skilled dancers, kind of it, telling the audience about what Black funerals <laughs> can be like, or the, at least the funniest aspects
4: of a funeral.
1: There's this build up to that moment, right? It's sort of like a misdirect where we're sort of sitting with the wife crying. It's interesting because it juxtaposed pacing wise, right? Like up to that point, it's sort of like the slow movement juxtaposed with this really exciting <laughs> over the top celebration. What was the thought behind the pacing and, and how you wanted to work with that in those two moments?
2: Well, much like um, Product Purge, you know, that the kind of tone shift is written in, into mm-hmm. the script. I mean, it was kind of just a natural transition. And of course, when you're in a funeral home, you just imagine everything being slower, darker, sadder. You know, the organ music itself kind of paces the actual scene. That too is slow. And then um, you want to focus on who's grieving, even though it's hilarious. You can just kind of sit with them and watch them grieve. I know Robin's goal was to kind of to transition so that it didn't feel like we were in the same space to make it even though we were definitely still in the church, she wanted it to be a completely different environment and feel. And so we used kind of push-ins and dramatic sound effects to just kind of transport the audience into a completely different environment. Mm-hmm. And I think it was it was nice because you're kind of just lulled and you're not sure what's going mm-hmm. on and you do not expect what, what's going to happen next. Like at least, you know, I was not anticipating um, when I was kind of watching through the eyes of an audience member this insane ball scene coming on the back of someone grieving their their husband. We wanted to look, kind of lean into that misdirection as as much as possible.
1: What was the footage like for this? Was there other sort of stance moves that were cut out or what What was it like?
2: Yeah, I mean, this was another tough one because the dancing was great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there were professional baller dancers. They were like, they, you know, do this in their sleep. And it was competing with Bobby's dialogue in the best way. It was just, there was so so much good material. You wanted to keep it all in. So I just tried, you know, as I was watching dailies, tried to take the best of the action and the dance. And then of course the best of Bobby's takes and just, you know, use them on, (laughs) um, on top of each other. And sometimes you had to like give one dance move its own space, put it in the front of the timeline and then, you know, have some dialogue that wasn't as funny as, the next dance move just to kind of highlight those moves. I don't know, Mm -hmm. it's just a hot and cold uh, technique that I try to use, but um, I'm sure there's better verbiage for it, but, but yeah, there's some strategy in kind of putting some dance moves and juxtaposing those with some of the dialogue just to kind of, yeah, emphasize what's already hilarious. Sadly, yeah, I had to leave some things behind, but everything was good, so not a bad problem to have
1: well and as you said the MC was so good <laughs> it was oh my god he nailed it
2: well we do string outs of just our I don't know our funniest moments and Bobby's was I don't know how long that was it's the longest string out comedy I think I cut in this sketch even though the lines were repeated the way he would say it was different every time mm-hmm. and I was like do I want this inflection or that one like what's like what's the funniest I could go I could really just close my eyes and pick any one of them and they'd be the funniest you'd think <laughs> that existed in this straight out
1: you guys have all been very generous with your time and i have one last question for you guys do you guys have a favorite guilty pleasure show or film that you like to watch
0: well gossip girl the original one um i think i've watched that series way too many times than i care to admit um but that's definitely one of mine
4: I-, I want to define guilty pleasure. Are you, are you saying something that other people would be horrified if they knew we were watching
1: it? <laughs> I don't know about horrified. I always say it as, uh, you know, it's Sunday afternoon, you have nothing to do, and you're flipping around on television, and you're like, oh, I would never watch this film normally, but it's on, and yeah, it's fun.
2: I was introduced to, and sadly so late, a Peep Show, which is on a, you know, British comedy, mm-hmm. not sketch, but it's, uh, you know, situational comedy, but it's told through like a first-person lens, and it is hilarious. Like, I don't even—I wouldn't even call it a guilty pleasure because it's just—I think everyone should watch it. I'm not like kind of embarrassed. I mean, I do have embarrassing shows like
1: mm-hmm.
2: Housewives of Everything, <laughs> but <laughs> but Peep Show is definitely a comedy that I could watch over and over like once a year
0: yeah i was gonna say peep show is pretty great i don't know if that's yeah. a pleasure yeah or... okay
2: like
1: it makes that ex- <laughs> but wait wait you said you said housewives of whatever wherever <laughs> do you do you listen to the podcast bitch sesh which i is absolutely all- do yeah. <laughs> uh, and i
2: need to catch up actually i think i'm a couple episodes behind yeah. so i need to catch up on both the series and and the podcast but yeah. uh do you have but- a favorite
1: know my wife li- watches and listens to the show and so okay. and she's in the same boat she's like i gotta watch more shows so i can listen to more episodes right. or get a job. it's brilliant how they've built the
3: sort of empire of housewives
2: yeah empire is right i can't get off i'm i'm a loyal fan
3: i feel like somebody just asked me this and i do have a guilty pleasure show but i can't think what it is i i think my kind of default show I feel like I don't even have enough time to watch the shows I actually want to watch, let alone a guilty pleasure show. But it, you know, if I want to kind of go into autopilot, which I do sometimes, I, I I'll usually watch Rick and Marty. It, it's not a guilty pleasure, mm-hmm. but it's a great pleasure to say I, I've rewatched every episode a million times over. You know, it's one of those shows where I'll just let it play, but it's yeah. not even background. I'll be paying attention to it, but it'll be just as entertaining the fifth and ninth time I watch it but I did I, I do have a guilt I was hoping one of you would say whatever my guilty pleasure show or movie was so I could I be reminded like I should know this.
0: No, I yeah
3: I, I do I feel like I've told you Steph yeah I feel like I, I should know but I, I can't think what it is when Rick and Morty gets dark in its humor <laughs> right have you watched have we talked about 90 day fiance or is oh
0: that my gosh mine? yeah is that one yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely one. one of mine but I feel like we've had that conversation Maybe. Yeah,
3: maybe. I, I I haven't watched it, but I I did watch the clips of Ed. Just it looks amazing. I I don't know. After doing reality TV for, I don't think everybody's like this, but after doing reality TV for so long, I yeah. can't I can't watch it. I can't <laughs> even be around it anymore. No. Nope, Ex- except for some. Like I, I I did like um. Oh shoot. What was that show called? See, nah, I'm not even gonna try. I'm forgetting the show names. There was a there was a couple little. uh, Love shows on Netflix that were pretty, that oh, were pretty like nice. Love is Blind and all those. Yeah, Love is Blind was one of them, but uh, well, uh, Love on the Spectrum—that was the one yeah. I'm trying to think of. But I don't know that that's so much reality as kind of a little mini docu series. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I can't, I can't do organized reality anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, How about yourself, Robin?
4: I same. I I normally try not to get into the reality show because I worked in it way too much as an assistant and kind of horrified by it now but you know one of my things is the you know completely ordinary is those true crime things you know or I think the last one I watched was uh uh get going clear I think which is about the
1: Scientologists
4: thing yeah you know so that's my thing to sort of guilty pleasure when I'm just sort of wanting to sort of zone into something else but i don't want to sort of fully commit to a <laughs> reality show i'll go into like true crime mode and <laughs> and watch those
1: there's so, so many of them these days right yeah, and now so. and now they're getting their dramatic reenactments with like the staircase has a fiction i guess version of
3: it or exactly. version and yeah we were, ju- we were I- just talking about the staircase too weren't we I'm pretty just, sure we, we all met up and we're talking about the staircase doc and then I saw <laughs> had a dramatic series now.
2: To add to this list, um, Blood Relatives um, which is a show that Stephanie worked on and it is amazing, very dark and everyone should watch. Thematically, brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know if you want to, if we have time for you to describe this, but I love it. Definitely my guilty brother. Yeah, I
0: mean, it's a true crime series about family members who kill each other so very uplifting uh but every every episode has a theme and then has a color um and has an animal Hmm. so like in all of the scenes you'll see like oh why are they all drinking the color blue uh I don't know but that's the theme (laughs) of the episode and then um you know maybe the the animal is like a centipede so you know you'll be watching a murder scene and then a centipede walks through the scene just because. Uh, so it's yeah, everything has like its own theme, its own color, and its own animal. So it's definitely that's probably a good accurate description of it as like a guilty pleasure type of true crime show because it's um, takes many creative liberties from true crime. <laughs>
1: well, thank you all for letting me interview you today. Thank, thank
0: you, you for having thank us. You.
1: So that was my interview with the team. I'd like to thank HBO. I'd like to thank a Black Lady Sketch team's editing team, as well as Evan Winch for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.